Yes, it's that time. Another episode of the Chief Zone Podcast here. Welcome in, everyone. Appreciate you guys downloading in, listening to this episode. I'm Farzim Basugan, the host of the Chief Zone Podcast. Got a fairly good episode for you guys lined up today. A lot to talk about with the Kansas City Chiefs as they have continued to be a little bit active in free agency as they resigned a couple of players since we last spoke and are trying to go after a couple of other players. We did talk about some players who the Chiefs were going to try to get, unfortunately unable to do so, and we've talked about that on the social media pages. Not going to get into every single signing, but we'll talk about some of the bigger names, the more important names, and we will get into all of that in just a moment. But if you guys want to be part of the discussion, feel free to do so. It is strongly encouraged, and I love all the discussions that we've had over the past couple of weeks on social media. A lot of fun talking to you guys, and if you guys want to be a part of it, it's never too late. Facebook.com slash That's my Facebook page. Like and follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. You guys can also email me as well, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. And of course, we'll talk about some of those free agent moves and some of the rumors, uh, some of the uh, players who the Chiefs have been trying to get. Uh, maybe they're still in the hunt and trying to get certain guys. We'll talk about all of that. Plus, I think there's one area where Chiefs fans feel is a big weakness, and I completely disagree. I don't think it's a weakness at all. I don't think it's a strength, but I, I don't think it's as bad as some make it seem to be, and I'll talk about that later on in the show. Plus, who are the Chiefs going to draft? They're going to draft late in the second round, 54th overall. And just looking at some of the mock drafts from the national media, from some people in the national media, there are some interesting names being thrown around, and of course being 54th overall, with that being your first pick, uh, you'll get all sorts of different projections rather than teams that are drafting in the first round, regardless of when in the first round, just within the first Usually you tend to see uh, a consistent pick. Uh, a, uh, there's a majority consensus, I guess, so to say, with who a team will take in uh, the first round. But after the first round, man, it is uh, pretty hard to predict. It's a crapshoot after that. Uh, but there is one name uh, that's being said by multiple national guys. And actually from one of the local college teams, I'll tell you which college and who that player is, what his position is, and how he could possibly be an asset for the Chiefs. A lot to get into here on this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Hope you all had a great weekend enjoying March Madness. And I know this is a Chiefs podcast, but listen, I, I'd be reminisced if I just didn't even mention the UMBC upset over Virginia. We finally have seen it, a number 16 seed beating a number one seed. And it's happened in women's basketball, but but listen, let's just be honest about it. You know, women's March Madness, that doesn't get any attention. Maybe locally, if your team is in it, and again, I mean, in a place like, I know the Jayhawks, they were in the NCAA tournament a couple of times. But listen, when you've got the men's team, one of the nationally well-known college basketball teams in it, the local media shows, I mean, they just give very little attention to the women's uh, basketball team, the Jayhawks. And no disrespect to them, and I understand, you know, maybe we have got some listeners who are interested in women's college basketball or maybe have uh, some sort of connection to it, whether they have a family member or a friend or maybe they even played women's basketball in college, uh, but the, the truth of the matter is that, that that just doesn't get talked about as much, 
Of course, the men's side, a completely different story. And we know uh, what happened over the weekend when UMBC pulled off a major upset. A lot of people out there said a number 16 seed would never win. And I thought that was an innocuous thing to say because we've seen 15 seeds, especially more and more. And people blame it on so many different things, one and dones and uh, certain skill sets, which are certainly agreeable. Uh, it's certainly no disagreement from my end on that. Um, but, but we're starting to see more and more upsets. Uh, we're starting to see that more often now. And we finally have seen a 16 beat a one seed. Now, we know it's happened a couple of times. I don't remember the names of the teams involved, but I know there was one 16 seed team that lost by one point. Hell, uh, look, look who KU played Uh to start off the tournament. Uh, I, I can't remember the name of the school, but uh, they had KU up against the wall in the first half. So, and listen, people always say, oh, well, this is, we have more upsets this year than last year. I, I think in the moment you always feel that way, but it does kind of feel like it, it does happen more and more often, especially with number one seeds. Only two one seeds remain alive. Uh, but, but going back to UMBC and Virginia, People were talking about how UMBC was too fast for Virginia. They were just uh, playing at a more upbeat tempo, high pace. And that I certainly agree with. Uh, I mean, that's that's really what it looked like. But but I think people are making too much of the skill sets. Because I think there's a different factor. And it's not just with UMBC. And again, I, I know we're talking college basketball here. But I've got a Chiefs angle with this. Not just a Chiefs angle. I got a, I've got another local sports Story, something that I kind of had a, a weird incident with uh, a few years ago when I was at KU, and I'll, I'll talk about that in just a moment. But the number one aspect to me, and I've said this before on the podcast, and I've said it many times to, to, to people, whether you know it's at the office, water cooler, you're talking to friends, text messages, group texts, whatever. Um, to, in my honest opinion, when we see upsets like this, when we see major upsets when a really good football team is heavily favored to beat a really bad football team or or not just football any sport I think there's one factor that plays a hand in this and to me that's overconfidence again we can talk about what happened in that game and how UMBC was just too damn fast for Virginia yes they were and I'm not saying that that was not the case at all but if you want to tell me my number one reason as to why Virginia won this game, or excuse me, lost this game, and becoming the first ever one seed to lose in the first round, it was overconfidence. I will, I mean, I, I think, especially in this case when it's a 1 versus 16, because look, there's no doubt in, in anyone's mind that everybody, uh, except for maybe some of the very few hardcore UMBC fans uh, th- that had Virginia winning. Heck, uh, I, I think it was uh, Tracy Wolfson who said that the UMBC uh, players, they only they had to do laundry because they didn't bring enough clothes for the four or five day uh, weekend. They were expecting it to be a short trip for them and, and go back home after that. So, so listen, these things are just known, even the players themselves. Uh, I don't want to say they didn't have confidence in themselves, but hey, uh, we play these games for a reason. We don't just uh, pencil in all four teams in the Final Four 
uh, who are number one seeds. Uh, that's all, as a matter of fact, that's only happened once, and that was the same year the Jayhawks won the national championship in 2008. So, again, there's a reason why uh, these games are played. And I truly do believe, especially in college basketball, I know that's when you hear the word upset uh, the most. But truly, I really do believe in sports. When we see a heavily favored team go down, I truly do believe it's overconfidence. When the Kansas City Chiefs blew those leads in the postseason against the Colts and the Titans recently in the playoffs, I truly do believe there was a lot of complacent and overconfidence in the second half. Anyone who who thinks differently, I mean, you're you're crazy. I'm sorry, but you are. You can you can't just. I mean, you have to try really hard to blow a lead like that. Especially in certain situations, like in Indianapolis. I mean, that that was the second biggest lead in postseason history that was blown, and the Chiefs blowing one uh, at home at Arrowhead. I mean, you're at home at the, at that point. How do you let that happen? 18 points at home at halftime, and you blew it in the second half. Now, let me say this. I mentioned that I had some sort of weird incident at the University of Kansas. As I mentioned before, I wrote for the student newspaper, the University Daily Kansas. I was was at KU for two years, transferring from Johnson County Community College. And I got to do the football beat my first year at KU. And I remember, this was 2012, by the way. Charlie Weiss's first season as the head coach of the Jayhawks. And somebody, uh, I believe it was John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant, he brought up uh, the, uh, because KU's first game was against South Dakota State, it was the uh, KU's first game of the season coming up, and I believe it was John Kirby, who, who I, I don't remember what he asked, but he brought up the loss to North Dakota State, and a lot of times when you see these small Division two or three schools that pull off a big upset over uh, a Division one team, uh, I mean, it just gets discussed, and uh, I don't remember what exactly Kirby asked, but he brought up the uh, the game, and I just uh, kind of follow uh, did a follow up question off of uh, Kirby, and I told Charlie Weiss, I said, "Coach, do you ever have to talk to your team, uh, making sure that, that they're not overconfident?" He chuckled at me, and, and by the way, I'm not trying to do one of those "Hey, gotcha" moments with, with this story. I'm really not. Um, because it, there's a bigger issue beyond that, and I think as fans, we have to kind of be concerned about this. Charlie Weiss chuckled at my question and said, there's no need to even discuss that. So, uh, a few hours later, when uh, the players were available to talk to the media, and I'm going to leave this player's name, uh, I, I'm going to hold that information away. Uh, it, it's not important who it was necessarily, but this offensive lineman for KU, he's... Talking to uh, the media in his scrum, uh, I know every team does it differently, but basically KU, uh, what they do with their football team, they have a few tables set up and uh, they'll put their name tags down of the player uh, who it is because some of them are unrecognizable, especially with uh, offensive linemen uh, who you don't see often. Uh, And then uh, the media, I mean, they're free to walk up to whoever and uh, take a few minutes of uh, their time to talk to them. Uh, but this offensive lineman for KU, somebody, and I, and I don't remember what the question was, but this offensive line responded uh, talking about South Dakota State, saying uh, 
you know, we're going to beat them up pretty good. We're going to score a lot of points on them. And the backups are going to play in the second half. And immediately, two two other reporters raise their eyebrows. And all of a sudden, several other reporters looked at me. Basically, you know, we could just have this discussion with our eyes. Uh, they were looking at me saying, Charlie Weiss laughed at you earlier with this with the question now to be clear KU did go out and, and uh blow out the uh the Jackrabbits uh in that game but the overconfidence going into that game and I know what people will say well it's Kansas no 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 it's not just Kansas just because they're bad at football especially with 18 to 22 year olds I guarantee you that there is a lot of overconfidence in a lot of these uh college athletic locker rooms I guarantee you there is. The KU being a great basketball team, I guarantee you some of the games they've lost was due to overconfidence, especially in the tournament. And you guys know I've been very critical of the KU basketball team and just how overconfident they can be, especially in the tournament. And I've been very critical of that, especially Bill Self. This offensive lineman, again, this is kind of my first experience really talking to a player and just hearing that overconfident uh, voice. I mean, this guy basically knew what the score was going to be in his head. I mean, it's like he had a a script laid out and how this game was going to go. But all the reporters kind of looked at one another. And a lot of people looked at me like, I mean, hey, you got laughed at for for the question you asked. And immediately, uh, one of the SIDs, one of the PR uh, folks for KU football, she immediately, after the player was done speaking and got up and left, she immediately walked up to all of us. And begged for us to not use that quote. And that, and she said that if this quote is used, that player will never be able to speak again to the media. Uh, now, being a student reporter, I don't want to step on any toes. But looking back, I wish I didn't give a damn. I wish I just went about it. And, and later that year, Charlie Weiss did have some sort of an issue with the student newspaper based on something that they said that ended up being true. Uh, which is a story for another time. But point being right, right now... I've experienced firsthand hearing athletes, granted a college athlete, but I don't doubt that this happens in the pros either. There are athletes out there who get overconfident with certain games. I guarantee you there is somebody in that Virginia locker room, at least one player, maybe they didn't express it verbally or publicly, but there was at least one player who thought that they were going to blow at UMBC and all the reserves, all the backups, all the freshmen were going to come in and, 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 pretty much play the final 10-15 minutes of the second half. I guarantee you there was at least one Virginia player uh, who thought that. So this is common in, in, in sports, guys. This really is. I'm sure that there was some overconfidence in the Chiefs locker room coming out of the uh, out of the uh, locker room at halftime when the Chiefs were leading against the Titans in the, in the second half. Look at some of the comebacks the Royals had in the postseason a couple of years ago. I guarantee you players on the opposing team got complacent and overconfident, and that's what allowed the Royals to come back. A lot of times when we see, these, when we see comebacks or upsets in any sport, not just college basketball during this time of the year, I'm talking any time the number one factor to me is always overconfidence. That's what happens. I truly do believe that plays a big factor in the result that you see when it was when it's completely unexpected, when we expect it the least. 
Let me know your thoughts on this because I, I think out of anything I've ever discussed, this is the topic that I I feel, and I, I know this sounds kind of hypocritical to say, but I'm very confident that this is something that I, one of my theories that I'm uh, accurate about. I truly, and again, athletes are never going to admit that they were overconfident about something after a loss. They just won't. They'll never admit that. That's a silly thing to admit. Hey, hell, I wouldn't want to admit anything like that, even if I felt that way. I, I really do think that this is, this isn't anything, like, this is not some sort of crazy theory that's impossible to, to solve. I mean, I just shared with you guys an incident I had at KU where this was a was was a thing. And again, I, going back, I really do wish I, I made that quote public. Quite honestly, I think that's something fans deserve to know because fans put a lot of money and investment in, in tickets, merchandise, you know, putting time into these kinds of things, going to games, the pre-game traffic, post-game traffic, all these things. And fans deserve to know if a player on their team feels this way. I, I I think fans do deserve to know those kinds of things. Let me know your guys' thoughts. Do you guys think overconfidence is a thing in sports, or do you guys completely disagree with me? And if you do, that's okay, but let me know about it and let me know why. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Send me a tweet at Farzine21. You guys can also email me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. One other thing I do want to touch on before we touch on uh, Chiefs free agency moves uh, since we last did the podcast, and plus some of the other other Chiefs topics that I want to talk about here on this episode, there is a new developmental football league that is going to go down in less than a year. That is called the AAF, the Alliance of American Football. Uh, just a couple details. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of details out there, but I don't want to go over all of them. Uh, Ten... Uh, teams are going to play 10 games and players are going to make $50,000 each. So there's, there's not going to be, I mean, regardless of your stature, I guess, depending who they get, maybe there's going to be a different kind of player out there, but uh, they can say better contract, but overall it's a developmental football league. Uh, and it's not exactly sure, you know, how, how, what they think about this or how long it's going to go on for. Uh, it, generally, if they have a league like this, they're forming, surely they think it's going to, do well, but look at NFL Europe. Look at the United Football League, and I talked about this just recently with the XFL when I mentioned the United Football League and how Marty Schottenheimer, he was the head coach of a Las Vegas football team that won the championship in the UFL. Nobody gave a damn. Nobody cared that one of the best head coaches in NFL history, probably the best head coach to never win a Super Bowl right next to Andy Reid, and for whatever reason, I guess I just kind of realized the Chiefs love bringing those kinds of coaches in. For whatever reason, nobody cared that Marty Schottenheimer won a championship in the UFL. Probably because it was the UFL. And look at the UFL right now. It's defunct. And speaking of the XFL, I kind of find this a little bit funny because the XFL, just a couple of months ago, in January, they announced a comeback. And... They announced that they'll be back in 2020. The AAF is going to get underway right after the Super Bowl in 10 months. 10 and a half months. Right around there. So, to me, why is it that the XFL, you know, a league that's been in existence before, 
and now making a comeback. Why is it that they need two years when the AAF is going to get underway in 10 to 11 months? I don't really understand that part. That, to me, is very interesting. Now, here's the other factor to it. Uh, We have a lot of developmental leagues right now. We've got the Arena League, and... Players over there are not making a lot of money, nor are, nor are the coaches or the people in the front office. But that's also not a league that's investing a lot of money in trying to have public promotion. They know their place. They know that they are a minor football league, so, so to say, for lack of a better term. So that's why they've been around for so long. Yeah, sure, they've had their uh, backtracks and all, but they've been able to rebound. And we, we've got the, uh, we've, excuse me, the, we've got the Arena League. We've got... The CFL, which again has done well, and I, I don't—I'm not too familiar with the popularity of it in Canada. But for the most part, uh, you know, we have already a, a few leagues: the Arena Leagues, the Canadian Football League, and we've had a couple of different leagues in the past: the UFL, the um, the, uh, the NFL Europe. I know there have been a couple of other football leagues, uh, something similar to the Arena Football Leagues, I believe it was called the Indoor Football League, and maybe it's still around, I don't know, but overall, uh, there are a lot of these leagues out there, now we've got the XFL and the AAF, uh, the AAF's gonna get underway next year right after the Super Bowl, the XFL in two years, no exact date has been announced yet, but we've got, we're, we're starting to get a lot of these leagues now, and to me, I'm just kind of wondering what's the goal here? Because if you're the XFL and you want to be the alternative to the NFL, well, look, you're just not going to compete. Um, you, you know, it's funny to me because we've got the UFC. Yes, the UFC is going to be number one in MMA, but Bellator's at a number two, and, and then you've got several other promotions and even though these promotions are never going to beat the UFC, they're always going to be alive and kicking because they need those promotions. Those are like the uh, the promotions that people use as a stepping stone to eventually move up to a Bellator or UFC to be in one of the higher promotions. In the NFL, you don't really have that. You just play college football, and if you do well, you get drafted. If you go to the NFL, you don't do well. Maybe you... Uh, end up playing in the arena leagues or, or, or in Canada, or if you don't get drafted by uh, by the NFL, and if you fail in a in training camp or in the preseason, then you go to the CFL or the UFL, or excuse me, not not the UFL, um, uh, the AFL. And I, I mentioned Maurice Leggett, former Kansas City Chief and uh, former winner of the Mackley Hill Award, the Team Rookie of the Year Award. Uh, he. He's been tearing it up in Canada. Last year, in 2017, he led uh, all uh, Canadian football players in interceptions with seven that year. So there are some players who maybe play in the NFL, don't do as well as they would have liked to, but they go to a smaller league like the, uh, the CFL or the AFL, and they do a lot better. So uh, th- there are some players who kind of go through that. My thing is right now, do we have too many of these? So, for example, a guy like Maurice Leggett, who's obviously the best cornerback in in Canada right now, could he make that transition to the AAF or the XFL? Or, or, or what exactly uh, do these two leagues want in terms of certain players? Obviously, if they get Colin Kaepernick, that is definitely going to get a lot of discussion. Same with Tim Tebow, Johnny Manziel. Those are some of the names discussed uh, of guys who could go to the XFL. Bottom line is, uh, I do worry... 
about these leagues because the XFL, sure, yeah, social media could maybe help promote it a little bit better. But I tr- I've said this before, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time saying it again. I just don't think people are going to care as much after a couple of weeks or a couple of games. I really don't. Sure, I mean, even if Colin Kaepernick's there, that game might get a lot of ratings. The second game Kaepernick is a part of, that'll get a lot of ratings, maybe not as much. But after that, after that, I truly do think... Uh, people are just going to go back to not caring about the XFL, just like the first time they didn't care about the XFL. So I, I worry that the Alliance of American Football is going to basically be the same thing. They talk about ticket costs and how it's going to be $35, try to make it family friendly. Well, look, if you're if you're you know the AAF or the XFL, you cannot expect people to pay hundreds or thousands of dollars for great seats. Look at the Kansas City T-Bones. And look at the Kansas City Royals. For those who are not in Kansas City, the T-Bones are a semi-pro baseball team in Kansas City. They play in Kansas City, Kansas, just off the Legends, uh, where they have Dave & Buster's, uh, uh, the uh, Legends uh, shopping outlet. As a matter of fact, that's where uh, Sporting KC uh, plays their games as well in the uh, Legends area. But b- bottom line is, if you want to go get tickets for a T-Bones game, and if you want to sit front row right behind the uh right behind home plate you can pr- i'm just going to take a guess right now and say it might cost you somewhere around 50 bucks maybe 100 sitting front row at a T-Bones game whereas for the Royals if you want to sit front row right behind home plate uh f- first of all the Royals have a special section uh the Crown Club section so it's definitely going to cost you a few hundred dollars to do that. So these leagues, they have to make their ticket prices a lot lower and make them cheaper and more affordable to be quote-unquote family-friendly because they know they're not going to have that type of recognition like the NFL. The NFL is not, uh, sure, they have the family-first slogan, but come on, they're not family-friendly when it comes to ticket prices. Uh, look at parking. Uh, the price of parking is always going up. So at the end of the day, they're, they have to make it their ticket prices affordable to the point where really anybody could afford it, uh, no matter how much money you make. The other factor I have to, to question is which markets are gonna are they going to target? Because I remember the UFL, they were going after cities that didn't have an NFL team. Now, the league didn't last long, so they couldn't really fulfill that to, to come to fruition eventually, but... That was their attempt. How are the AAF and XFL going to go about things in terms of where they want to place their football teams? Are they going to copy some of the NFL markets and go after them? Or are they going to maybe go after certain, not necessarily the direct city, but maybe a nearby big city? So, for example, Kansas City. Maybe they try to get a team in Topeka, Kansas, or in Lawrence, Kansas. I mean, two, I don't want to say major big cities. I would say, I guess I wouldn't even say mid, mid-market mid size. They're actually small market size cities that are close to Kansas City. Those kinds of cities that maybe the, the AAF or the XFL would go after. I don't know how they want to go about these things. Because, listen, the NFL, sure, the ratings are dropping. But ratings for everything are dropping nowadays. I think people are forgetting that factor. There is not another football league 
that can compete with the NFL. So, I understand that the XFL wants to provide that alternative, especially because of the ratings decline with the NFL lately, but the NFL is still dominating the ratings. Are they dominating dominating it like before? No, but they're still the king in the NFL. Find me another program that gets more viewer more viewers on Sundays, Monday nights, Thursday nights, and occasionally on Saturdays when the NFL has a game. You're not going to be able to find any because it's the NFL that dominates on Sundays and on the other nights when they have football on. Let me know your guys' thoughts on that as well. If you're interested, facebook.com slash farzinvasugian and twitter.com slash farzin21 and email me farzin at farzinvasugian.com. I know we spent the first 28, 29 minutes talking about non-Chiefs related issues, but I, I still think there's a Chiefs angle to all of these things with the upsets and with these developmental football leagues. Uh, so I hope you guys were able to kind of bear with me on that because I think these are two important topics. Even though they're not directly Chiefs related, those are important things that we definitely want to talk need to talk about and kind of makes you wonder you know how does that impact the Chiefs in a way you know with upsets mentioned that as far as marketing goes uh, could we get an XFL or an AAF team nearby the Kansas City area maybe not directly in Kansas City but maybe in a nearby city heck I'll even say Kansas City Kansas that's technically not the same city where the Chiefs play so I, I could see Vinnie Mac good old Vince McMahon uh, playing that card and saying, well, Kansas City, Kansas is on a separate state and the Chiefs are on a different state. So uh, who knows? Uh, you never know with Vince McMahon. Sure, yeah, former college football player, but not the greatest football promoter, so to say. All right, let's talk some Chiefs football. Of course, a lot to get into here. The Chiefs did resign Dustin Colquitt to a three-year deal worth $7.5 million. Could be up to $9 million, according to his agent, Tom Condon. Uh, who also helped uh, Sam Bradford get that sweet mega contract for absolutely doing nothing in his NFL career. But Cole quit back for another three years, and I think that's that's a good thing. Of course, you you don't have to go after a punter in free agency or in the draft. You, you bring back a punter who's been very reliable for you over the years, not just as a punter, but also as a holder in field goal formations, as I talked about last week. So that's good to hear. Uh, and Dustin Colquitt, I'll get back to him in a moment, but offensive lineman Jordan uh, Devey, also re-signed with the team. Tyron Matthew, no longer a free agent, went on to sign with the Houston Texans, unfortunately. Some thought the Chiefs would have been a great fit for him. A lot of people would have loved to see Matthew and Eric Berry play beside each other in the secondary. It would have been a lot of fun. But Dustin Colquitt, as well as Chris Jones, they both went on social media trying to recruit Tyron Matthew to the Chiefs. Uh, I'm sure they tried hard, tried their best. Uh, but unfortunately... Matthew not coming to Kansas City. So a lot of you guys might be wondering who could be available for the Chiefs. Well, Cam Chancellor of the Seahawks, he might be traded. Uh, it seems more and more likely that could be the case. And considering that Kansas City has a first-round pick, two second-round picks, and a third-round pick next year in 2019, maybe they could offer up some draft picks and say, hey, look, we're we're not looking to really draft a whole lot of players this year. We want to win right now rather than trying next year or the year after. Sure, when you have a first-round pick in two seconds, you can build a lot of good players. And considering Kansas City's recent history with third-round picks, they can get a lot of good football players uh, in next year's draft. But maybe they can trade those away and try to get some proven veterans right now. Hopefully they can do that with Camp Chancellor. Maybe Kansas City goes after Eric Reed or... 
they'll just wait and address this in the second or third round of the upcoming draft. Now, I do want to get into the draft in uh, in a moment, but uh, I, do, I do want to talk about this for a moment because I think it's very interesting. The Chiefs attempted to sign cornerback Kyle Fuller. I did mention a couple of episodes ago, Kyle Fuller is related to Kendall Fuller, brothers, uh, part of a well-known family, a well-known football family, that is. But the Bears ended up matching the Packers' offer and kept Kyle Fuller. Keep in mind, the Bears used the transition tag on Kyle Fuller. So any team that uh, had an offer for, for Fuller, uh, the Bears would have an opportunity to match that offer. And the Bears did exactly that. Smart move considering an NFC North team wanted Kyle Fuller. You definitely don't want to go up against him twice a year. You'd rather have him on your team than go up against him twice a year. So a very smart move for the Bears in doing so that way. But... It's kind of interesting they were going after him. I don't think it's a bad move necessarily, but the Chiefs already added Kendall Fuller from the Alex Smith trade and signed David Emerson from the Oakland Raiders after he was waived by the team. So I find it interesting that the Chiefs, who I truly do believe have two very underrated cornerbacks on their team, they went after another cornerback in Kyle Fuller. And I know we've talked about this in each of the last few podcasts, but I think this is worth bringing up again. Marcus Peters. How how tough of a situation was it to where they felt like they could not keep him? Because if they're going after all of these cornerbacks, uh, you know, bringing in Fuller and Amerson and attempting to get Fuller, I'm not quite sure. It just makes me wonder. And we'll never know the answer to this because these are things that teams don't reveal. I think the only person who might admit or maybe discuss this openly would be Marcus Peters if he does an interview with with a well-known media outlet on NFL Network or on the SiriusXM NFL channel uh, or on ESPN Radio, so to say. Uh, one of those outlets, but I don't think they they would really care to ask that. Maybe the next appropriate, plus considering that he did his press conference and it's all over with, I don't think uh, he would even care to answer that. Maybe the next appropriate time to ask this would be the week the Chiefs and Rams play, which will be in Mexico City in 2018. We don't have the dates yet. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we get that soon. It'll come uh, sometime next month before the draft. But but my question here is, what kind of an attempt? And if did the Chiefs attempt to talk things out with Marcus Peters? Because if they're going after all of these cornerbacks, well, we could sit here and say you did have the best interceptor, the guy who had more interceptions than anybody since 2015. Yeah, sure, he had his personal issues that maybe became too much for the team, but was there any attempt in trying to refurbish any of that and try to patch it up and move on? In addition to adding Fuller and Amerson, listen, I've said this before, you can never have enough cornerbacks in the NFL, especially in this pass-heavy era that we're in right now. And we've been in it for a while, but I've yet to see an NFL team that has, quote-unquote, too many good cornerbacks because I think nowadays you need to have two maybe three Pro Bowl caliber cornerbacks yes in Denver uh, I mean there are a lot of great defensive backs there of course the former Jayhawks Aqib Tlaib and Chris Harris on the same team that was a big that was a really big factor 
in Denver winning a Super Bowl a couple of years ago, even with a terrible Peyton Manning under center. Yes, we also know about the Legion of Boom in Seattle. That played a big hand. Uh, But I'm talking actually having three Pro Bowl cornerbacks. We've not seen that yet in the NFL. And I'm not saying Kendall Fuller and David Amerson are Pro Bowl material, so to say. But these are, I guess by pro football focus standards, if you have Marcus Peters, Kendall Fuller, and David Amerson, those are, I mean, pro football focus would probably have them all ranked very high. So to to hear that the Chiefs went after Kendall Fuller, when they already, or excuse me, Kyle Fuller, when they already have Kendall Fuller and David Amerson, I mean that that would have been a great trio of cornerbacks, certainly would have. But again, they had a, an even better cornerback in Marcus Peters, and it kind of makes me wonder what happened. Why could they not have kept him? And again, I, the obvious answer. He was a knucklehead at times. I get that. That's certainly not defensible. But did the Chiefs... What attempts did the Chiefs try to make? Because when they handed him the one-game suspension... And again, I know the report came out that the suspension was more so due to an incident in a team meeting rather than the flag toss to the stands in New York. But when when he took that suspension and when he came back... He just played lights out. Just dominated every single game with the exception of Week 17. And they held him out because that was more of a preseason type of game. But you get the idea. Marcus Peters completely matured and played a lot better after that suspension. So what happened from the postseason loss to the Titans to now? I know he did something at the end of the Tennessee game where he shoved a Tennessee player in frustration. Uh... But other than that, was there anything else that maybe triggered the trade to to go down? Because if you're going after all these cornerbacks, again, I'm going to repeat it. You had a premier cornerback on your team. And yes, there were issues with him, but it's nothing Andy Reid has never dealt with before. He's dealt with immature players, whether it's on the field or off the field. We know that about him. We've discussed this a million times. We don't need to repeat it again and again. So I just have to say, when I hear that the Chiefs went after Kyle Fuller, I keep getting them mixed up now. When the Chiefs went after Kyle Fuller, that certainly surprised me. One other thing I do want to talk about, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line. Is the offensive line an issue? I think we need to expunge the discussion of how bad Kansas City's offensive line is. Because I don't think it's as bad as people try to make it sound to be. Now, I'm going to read you Kansas City's offensive line from left to right. You've got Eric Fisher, Parker Inniger, maybe Brian Woodsman starts uh, the first game of the season. We'll see. Mitch Schwartz right up the middle, followed by Laurent Duvernay-Tardif and Mitchell Schwartz. Keep in mind, Cameron Irving, part of the mix. I'm sure he's going to be very important, especially with Zach Fulton. Now moving on to the Houston Texans. Now, Kansas City's offensive line allowed 37 sacks, 16th in the NFL. So exactly in the middle, not great, but it's not bad. Yes, this offensive line does need improvements, 37 sacks. Again, not good, not bad. That's the best way to to really describe that. But the offensive line doesn't need a drastic improvement as some make it seem like that's the case. Keep in mind this offense was 7th in passing and ninth in rushing as a team. 
And they also have the league-leading rusher in Kareem Hunt. And this Chiefs offense, they finished 5th in total yards. Behind, in order, New England, New Orleans, Pittsburgh, and uh, the LA Chargers. So this notion of how bad Kansas City's offensive line is... I don't, I don't know if I buy that necessarily. I'm not saying don't go after an offensive lineman. I think there are some areas where the Chiefs could improve on. Certainly, uh, restructuring Eric Fisher's contract would be great, but I doubt he would be open to that. But the bottom line is, if you are... Again, I'll read the numbers again. 7th in passing, ninth in rushing, and 5th in total offense. How is it that you have a bad offensive line? People make it sound like the Chiefs need to go after two or three new uh, offensive line, bring them into the team. And I just don't agree with that because finishing in the top 10 in those three categories, passing, rushing, and total offense, that is no accident. You cannot have a bad offensive line and have Alex Smith as your quarterback and finish in the top 10 in those three areas. That doesn't happen with Alex Smith in a allegedly bad offensive line. So I think we need to get away from this topic of Kansas City's bad offensive line and they need to improve on almost every single spot. I I disagree with that strongly. And I know there are a lot of Chiefs fans out there on social media who are kind of saying the opposite. And 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 I don't think this offensive line is as bad as some people try to make it seem. Final topic I do want to discuss, offensive linemen, maybe they address that in the draft, but the NFL draft is coming up in a month, and the Kansas City Chiefs do not have a first-round pick. They do have a second-round pick. They'll be picking 54th in the draft unless they trade up, but that is very, very unlikely. Uh, I mean, who would they trade away? And the guys they have right now, I doubt they they have any interest in trading away anybody they have on their current roster. So, Kansas City likely going to pick 54th overall. Now keep in mind, when you see a lot of these mock drafts, a lot of them only do the first 32 picks, only the first round. There are a few out there that do an entire draft, or maybe they at least do a second round. And here are who the Kansas City Chiefs are projected to pick by some of the national writers out there. Matt Miller, friend of the podcast from BleacherReport.com, he is projecting... James Washington, a wide receiver from Oklahoma State. So if you are a follower of Big 12 football, which is probably a lot of you guys being in Big 12 country here in the Kansas City area, you're probably familiar with James Washington, uh, former Oklahoma State Cowboy, who is going to be entering the draft. Ben Standig of NBC Sports also projects a wide receiver, but goes with Anthony Miller out of Memphis. Now here's a very interesting one. R.J. White of CBS Sports and Walter Football uh, or see, Walter Chapensky of Walter Football, they both have uh, defensive end slash outside linebacker Durant Armstrong from the Kansas Jayhawks coming over to Kansas City. So we don't often see Jayhawks players get drafted. We've had a couple in late rounds, but not a whole lot of notable guys. And Durant Armstrong might be the most notable Jayhawk uh, coming uh, out of college football going into the NFL draft. Uh, from Lawrence, so perhaps a guy to to consider. And look, Kansas City does have that wide open hole opposite of Justin Houston, unless they're really confident with D Ford in 2018, who they decided that they are going to keep and move forward with. 
Uh, otherwise, they would have let him go by now, but let, they let go of Tom Bahali, Frank Zombo. Uh, maybe he'll, he'll stay, maybe he won't, not exactly sure yet, but that's what you have right now. And for me, here's the thing. I don't know who the Chiefs are going to draft. I said this before, uh, earlier on this episode, projecting the first 32 picks, you'll see a lot of the a lot of writers agree on a lot of the picks. After the first round, it's a crapshoot. It, it's hard to predict those remaining rounds outside of round one. So, I don't know who the Chiefs could, could take. And, I, again, I... I I don't care how much college football you follow. Uh, considering the combine and so many private workouts and so many things that scouts and teams, GMC, see, that head coaches see that we don't see, there's just no way in really knowing who's going to be taken in the second round, third round. A lot of times, if you go on uh, all these draft trackers or draft boards that a lot of these media outlets have, Sure, they might show what, what uh, round someone's projected to go, but a lot of times those are not very accurate. Uh, you might see a guy projected to go in the second round, and they end up going in the fourth round. So a lot of times what you're seeing from some of these media outlets now, they're now saying they, they could go in the second or third round just so they can quote-unquote be correct, even though that's, uh, they, that, that, that's, that's basically saying, oh, well, you have a 50-50 shot at winning a coin toss. Well, that's an easy thing. Anyone could say that. Um, you know, you might as well say that they could be drafted anywhere from the first to the seventh round, so to say. But uh, a lot of times you're seeing these media outlets because they want to have some accuracy that they could say they had. They start expanding their draft projections by, uh, projecting multiple possibilities. And if one of those possibilities happen, technically they, they, they're going to claim that they were right. So, uh, that's really how, uh, these draft boards go. Uh, maybe when it gets closer to the draft time, we'll know exactly who the Chiefs might go after. But as far as positions go, and again, the first round, most of the teams go, 30 out of the 32 teams go after a position of need. In the second round and afterwards, we get a little confused with some of the certain picks. But after that, I don't think teams really go after position needs. They just go after the best player available and if it just happens to be someone in a in an area where they could really use more, it's just a, a bonus for them at the time. So as far as positions go, I'll say this: I do think a left guard, or uh, yeah, a left guard, is something Kansas City needs to consider on the offensive side. After that, I really don't think there are a lot of positions on offense that they really got to consider. They did sign Chad Heaney. Uh, a veteran quarterback uh, as a backup, so maybe they'll draft one late in the in the NFL draft, maybe on the third day. But I don't think they need to draft anyone early to bring in as a backup for Mahomes. So on the offensive side, I, the only really glaring hole to me might be left guard, maybe left tackle if they can get out of Eric Fisher's contract. Again, I doubt that happens. Defensive side, a lot of possibilities. Uh, one of the defensive end spots opposite of Chris Jones. The nose tackle spot, outside linebacker opposite of Justin Houston, safety spot beside Eric Berry. So you've got four spots on defense. Uh, as long as the Kansas City Chiefs go after one of those four defensive spots, I would be very happy if that's a position they addressed in that second round with the 54th pick. I don't know exactly where they could go with that, 
But as far as positions go, it's got to be one of those four. Who exactly? Hard to say. Maybe it's going to be Armstrong. Maybe the Chiefs do add another receiver to their arsenal to try to help out Pat Mahomes. I can understand that part of it. But I think Pat Mahomes has a, has enough to work with. Yeah, sure, you lost Albert Wilson, who Mahomes had a great game with in Week 17, but he's got Tyreek Hill. He's got Sammy Watkins now coming in here. Chris Conley hopefully can have a better season and avoid getting injured. Demarcus Robinson, I've been speaking highly of him. I think he, he has a lot of potential. And then, of course, your tight ends, Demetrius Harris, who's got some speed as a backup, and Travis Kelsey, one of the best tight ends in the NFL right now. But Pat Mahomes has a lot of players to work with. So for right now, I don't think they need to bolster the pass catchers anymore. And I didn't even mention the running backs in that list. And you know, under Andy Reid's offense, you can always rely on the running backs. Spencer Ware was one of the better pass catching running backs a couple of seasons ago. And coming back from injury, plenty of time to rest and recover. Surely he'll be, he'll make an impact on offense. And Kareem Hunt, we know about him and, and what he did last year. And Trakandrick West, he contributed and did fairly well when his number was called filling in for Hunt. So there are a lot of great players on this Chiefs offense that Patrick Mahomes can really rely on. So I don't know if I like the idea of adding another receiver or a tight end with that second round pick. I'd rather it be on the defensive side of the football. Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian, Twitter.com slash Farzine21, or send me an email, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. There will not be a closing segment for this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I've got to be honest with you guys. It's been a a very crazy week for me, so I haven't had the opportunity to really form one together. Uh, As a matter of fact, I'm actually in the middle of packing, taking a break from packing just to do this. Uh, So I'm going to get out of here and let you guys go. The closing segments will be back on the next episode, though. I'm back. I'm going to be going to the Florida Keys, enjoying the Sunshine State for the weekend. My brother is going to be turning 21, which is going to be a lot of fun. So definitely looking forward to that. But a lot to discuss here on this episode of the podcast. Let me know on anything we discuss here or anything else that's on your mind, Chiefs-related or even non-Chiefs-related. Let me know. Hit me up on social media, facebook.com slash Farzimisugian, twitter.com slash farzim one. Like my Facebook page, follow me on there, follow me on Twitter, and also email me, Farzine at FarzineVasugian.com. Appreciate all the interactions on social media lately. It's been really great. It really has been. You guys have done a great job with the Facebook page on, you know, doing some answers on uh, Twitter, doing some back and forth interactions. Love all of that, too, and, and getting some emails as well. So, certainly not opposed to any of that. So, feel free. Let's continue doing that. If you haven't done so, it's never too late. So, come join us on the discussions on social media and let's keep it going and i'm sure there will be more to discuss next week we will be back this time on thursday we'll see if the chiefs have made any more moves if they've brought anybody back if a player that they've been targeting or fans have been wanting to see come to kansas city if any of those players have made a decision yet so we will talk about all of that on next thursday's episode if you enjoyed the episode please share them on social media let your friends know and spread the word if you haven't subscribed to the podcast and have your friends do it as well. Big thanks to you guys for downloading and listening to this episode of the Chiefs on Podcast. As far as you Vasugian, I will talk to you guys next Thursday. Enjoy the Sweet 16 and Elite 8. Kansas State, Kansas. We'll see how far they can go. Talk to you guys then.